Welcome to Pazina Perspectives and the latest in our podcast series. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on some work that we've done on the relationship between ESG scores of stocks and their investment performance. This is the subject of a white paper we've recently published entitled The Utility of ESG Scores in the Investment Process. For those that don't know us, Pazina Investment Management is a global deep value manager known for our commitment and dedication to disciplined classic value investing throughout an investment cycle. We're probably best known for the fact that that's all we've done since the firm's formation back in 1995, and that we implement our process in a disciplined and systematic way. If any listener would like any more information on the firm, please visit our website at pazina.com. My name is Adrian Jackson, and I'm based in our London office looking after a number of our UK clients. I'm delighted to be joined today by two members of our 26-person global research team. Firstly, Rachel Siegel, who is one of our ESG analysts, having joined the firm in 2019. Rachel works with analysts on any ESG issues, any ESG issues that arise when they're researching a stock. Hi, Rachel. Hello. Secondly, Rakesh Bordia, who has been at the firm 14 years. Rakesh, as well as covering a number of industries as an analyst, is also one of the four co-portfolio managers looking after emerging market strategies. Hello, Rakesh. Hey, Adrian. Hi, Rachel. Um, Rachel, maybe we can start with you. Um, can you maybe talk about, please, how ESG is being integrated throughout the industry? Sure. Um, so in terms of investment style, there's probably a spectrum of approaches to ESG investing in the marketplace. Perhaps the simplest form of ESG investing is where you screen out certain names or industries based on specific investor preferences. So there's no really hard and fast rules here, but some of the common exclusions are weapons, tobacco, or even coal more recently. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's thematic ESG investing and even impact investing. And this is where you're targeting more specific exposure to certain ESG themes or opportunities. So, for example, companies that are aligned to net zero by 2050 is a common one that has a common trend that's been emerging recently. Impact investing is more about intentional positive impact, and that's better suited to the private markets as a result. ESG integration, which is what we do at Pazina, sits more in the middle of this spectrum, and it's really about integrating the ESG risks and opportunities into the normal course of investment research. And then in terms of how ESG issues are incorporated into investment analysis, there's a couple of different approaches here. So some investors like us decide to do this through bottom-up fundamental research, while others take more of a quantitative approach, looking to invest in companies that achieve high ESG scores, and these are provided by a variety of third-party ESG raters and rankers in the marketplace today. Okay, thank you. Uh, Rakesh, could you take a few moments to, a few moments, sorry, to explain what we have done at Pazina historically and why? Yeah, Adrian, as, as Rachel mentioned, at Pazina, our approach to ESG is, is ESG integration, basically meaning that we incorporate ESG risks and opportunity in normal course, course of our investment research. Since Pazina's founding, uh, our investment philosophy has not changed. We focus on buying good businesses with long-term earnings potential at low valuation. Now, generally good businesses, when they're trading at low valuation, are undergoing some pain. So our focus is on identifying those issues and then deep research and assessment for all the long-term drivers of companies' profitability. 
These issues are then analyzed in depth, discussed with company management, and then monitored through the life cycle of the investments. Now, ESG issues are inherently long-term in nature. So any ESG issue that we uncover as part of our investment process that can have a long-term impact on company's performance is just as deeply analyzed to understand the impact and the risk and return like any other material investment issue. And as active managers, we focus a lot on engaging with the, with the management teams to understand and work with them on improvement of these ESG issues. Now, these ESG issues can impact our normalized earnings. They can impact the range of outcomes. They can be opportunities. They can be risks. But basically, as part of our long-term philosophy as long-term investors, assessing the impact of material ESG issues has been inherently integrated into our investment approach long before the term ESG even became popular. That's very useful. Thanks. In fact, maybe that provides a good link to the study that we've done recently. Um, can you maybe talk through why you did the study and what you were trying to find out? Sure. So from our perspective, if you notice, we focus on understanding the long-term ESG issues and things like ESG scores, which you know, the industry has, has evolved over the last few years and really appreciate the input that, that provides us. But ESG scores is essentially one of the many inputs that, that we consider in making our investment decision. And in itself, it doesn't, is, it's not a big driver of our investment decisions. However, there's been increasing focus within the industry, both from, from our clients as well as peers and other asset managers to kind of focus on these scores. So as a result of that, we wanted to embark on this study to better understand the value of these scores and its relationship with investment returns. So the study focused on two key areas. One was, is there a relationship between ESG scores and investment performance? And more importantly, we wanted to understand, is there a relationship between ESG score improvement and investment performance? Okay. Maybe it makes sense maybe take a step back. And Rachel, maybe you could talk through um, how the industry has built an ESG investing framework without answering these questions? <laughs> That's a very good question. I think it's probably helpful to think about this in a, in a couple of different dimensions. So maybe first, we need to understand that ESG scores are not necessarily intended as investment recommendations, even if that's how they've come to be used by some players in the market. So what they are is really just a third party interpretation of how a company's publicly reported information you know, how, how that makes them look on an ESG score, rating, ranking, etc. So it's no secret that there's a pretty low correlation between the ESG scores that different ratings providers put out there. And that really just speaks to the subjectivity rather than objectivity of a lot of these ESG issues and the evaluation that goes behind them. And that's partly why at Pazina, we really haven't put that much emphasis on using the ESG scores as part of the investment decision-making process. And then the other component being ESG ratings are a little bit inherently backward looking because they're really reflective of the information that already exists on a company out in the marketplace. And it really doesn't speak much to the, the forward looking ESG journey and where that company may be headed in the next few years. And then I think the second thing to consider is that a lot of this really comes down to the motivation of the individual investor. So some investors might want exposure to a group of ESG leaders and therefore an ESG score could be one way of determining a basket of better performing ESG names today. 
other investors are more focused on the active ownership part. And so that's really about getting a company to improve its ESG profile over time through proxy voting, through direct engagement with management. And the latter is more where we play because as value investors, we are acknowledging that pain exists in the stock. And some of that may be as a result of ESG issues. And so we, we have to inherently take that forward-looking view and assess you know, where do we think this company's prospects are in the long term and how are they best positioned to remediate some of the risks that, that may be inherent in, in the stock price today. So what did the study find? Yeah, Adrian. So as Rachel mentioned, you know, there are uh, there are issues with the consistency of data and the, the data is, has relatively short history. So with that in mind, uh, what we focused on the study was to understand these relationships that I was talked that I talked about earlier for our for global and U.S. data sets. For the global data set, we focused on the top 2,000 companies by market cap, and for U.S., the top 1,000 companies uh, by market cap. And the period for which we had data available was since 2014 till 2020. What we did was we break each of the universes into five quintiles based on the, the variable we were testing the relationship with the performance. So we broke, for example, the US universe into five quintiles of 200 names each based on the ESG scores with the highest ESG score, the first quintile, the next highest ESG score, the next quintile and so on. Also, we, we ensured that the, the, all these quintiles were sector neutral in the sense they had the same sectoral representation. And we used the MSCI industry adjusted scores to avoid any sectoral bias among these quintiles. So long story short, with that, with that setup, what we found is that there is very, uh, I would say there's no significant relationship between absolute ESG score and investment performance but there's a much stronger relationship between ESG score improvement and investment performance. Was there anything else you could share? Absolutely. So you see, when you look at a strong relationship, it should exhibit, uh, for this study, should have exhibited three key characteristics. Number one, you want to see a meaningful difference across the different quintiles. So you, you want to see the performance differential to be adequate across quintiles. Second, and, and really importantly, you want to see a, a monotonic trend across the quintiles. By that, what I mean is uh, if the performance of the best quintile is, is higher than the next best quintile, you want to see the same trend continue going from first quintile to second, second to third, and so on. And lastly, you want the relationship to hold across, across both the global and U.S. data sets. Now, when you look at the, the analysis, what we found is that for the relationship between ESG score and investment performance, yes, the, the lowest ESG score uh, quintile had lower performance than others, but there is no monotonic trend across the global universe. In fact, the fourth quintile was the best performing quintile, the fourth worst quintile uh, among the five quintiles. And then even, even the, the degree of difference across the quintiles was not substantial. And essentially the relationship did not hold very well in the global universe at all. So if you combine all the three factors we laid out were really not that strongly observed in the relationship between ESG scores and investment performance. And then if you combine it with the fact that over the last few years, 
investors have bid up scores with uh, with high ESG, sorry, companies with high ESG scores and at the expense of uh, companies with low ESG scores, it kind of implies that the relationship is very weak if it even exists. Now, on the other hand, if you look at the relationship between the ESG score improvement quintiles and investment performance, you find a very strong relationship. The difference across quintiles is substantial. It is monotonic. So the best quintile has the highest, the best performance followed by the next uh, highest improvement quintile, which has the second best performance and so on. And it holds solidly across both the US and the global data universes as well. So, so that's kind of our conclusion was, as I mentioned earlier, that there is really not, not a clear relationship between ESG scores and investment performance, but there is a very strong relationship uh, in comparison with on ESG score improvement and investment performance. So it all sounds very compelling and very interesting, but maybe most importantly, what does this all mean for us as value investors? That's a, that's a great question, Adrian. Uh, so one more thing we did as part of our study uh, essentially told us that lower ESG stocks are actually cheaper than, than higher ESG scores. Now, if you put that in context with what we found in the study, what that means is that lower ESG scores are cheaper and value investors like us can actually capitalize on those valuation dislocations driven by ESG scores by identifying companies who have a long-term company-specific ESG improvement action plan. So, of course, you will need to have deep research. You will have to uh, focus on identifying company-specific issues and actively engage with the management team to, to identify that. But essentially, what you can do is, instead of, of focusing on, on ESG scores, you can identify companies which have a strong improvement potential and may be able to create huge investment, huge investment performance for our clients. And, and we have a couple of examples. Rachel, maybe you want to talk about uh, NL? Sure, happy to. Uh, so for those uh, lis listening who may not know, NL is a diversified Italian utility. And maybe I'll just start with some of the, the background and the investment thesis around this name. So NL was facing a couple of, of headwinds that created really a classic value opportunity. The first was sector disruption from green energy and the energy transition that's underway today. And the second was really just some self-inflicted wounds from poor prior decision-making, uh, operational management, et cetera, due to the prior management team. And really this, this stock is interesting because of the, the sheer scale of the ESG transformation that it underwent during the performance period that we examined in the study. So how do we get comfortable with these issues? So Anel is really a story of company turnaround led by new and refreshed management. And from our research and engagement with this new management team, we really had conviction in their ability to turn the business around and sort of make good on the commitments that they were putting out into the marketplace. And that's primarily predicated on the expectations we had for improvements in two areas. So one, remediation of environmental risks in the business. And then the second was improvement in corporate governance. The governance improvements themselves really started in 2014 when the new CEO was appointed and he had been leading Anel's growing green power division prior to that. And so it was very well positioned to help Anel navigate the disruption that was being caused by renewables at the time. And how have things played out? 
Uh, very well, really, in the, you know, in the sense that Enel has transformed itself into an efficiently run industry leader that has a stable business mix and is really well positioned for future growth as, as really a renewable super major, as they call themselves, with a strong and disciplined corporate governance foundation. So on the environmental side specifically, Enel is now one of the largest non-government owned renewable operators in the world and has a commitment to phase out all of its coal generation by 2025 to 2027, and then a, a sort of longer term commitment to be net zero by 2050. And then on the governance side, you know, new management has really done what they said they would. So they've invested smartly to address the energy transition risk, and they've also reduced debt and improved operating efficiency in the process. And we really saw these changes pay off both in terms of the investment returns, but also in an upgraded ESG score over the performance period that we looked at in the study. Okay, interesting. Um, maybe another one, Rakesh, could you maybe talk to Wilma as an example? Yes, that's another great example. In fact, I would say even more controversial than, uh, than ML. So Wilmar is one of the world's largest agribusiness company, which focuses on palm oil processing as well as soybean oil processing. And palm oil industry is, is a poster child for bad ESG. It is notoriously associated with its role in deforestation of rainforests and and uh, you know inadequate protection of labor rights and the whole supply chain. So it's 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 a very uh, it's an industry right in the in the middle of of these uh, really quote unquote bad ESG issues. Maybe it'd be interesting for the uh, audience if you talk through some of the fundamental research we did on this. Uh, clearly, Adrian, as as I mentioned that the issues facing Wilmar were a lot more around the risk side because of the palm oil exposure. So when we did the work on Wilmar, we focused uh, on identifying all the issues in the supply chain, which was essentially, as I mentioned, uh, deforestation of palm plantations. Uh, there were potential concerns around human rights violations on these, uh, on these plantations, supplier management, and basically the sustainability of the whole supply chain. This led us to have an extensive uh, engagement with the management team, uh, their, their senior management team, as well as chief sustainability officers. And we focused our engagements to fully evaluate the investment risks, as well as to ensure the company understood the gravity of these issues and focused their energy and investments and actions to actually proactively address these issues as they were critical for the industry and as a result for companies' own risk management. And did management do anything to improve? Yeah, it was, it's actually, I would say we, would, we were very impressed with the leadership and, and commitment of the management team on, on these issues. So Wilmar became the first mover in the industry to implement a zero tolerance policy on deforestation, uh, clearing land for, for peat or uh, for exploitation of the workforce. And I mean, they have come such a long way, uh, Adrian, that last year, Wilmar was included in the prestigious Dow Jones Sustainability Index, which is, uh, which is quite an achievement for a company which is focused on palm oil plantations. So this is another example of you know, where a business success becomes tied to your focus on the ESG improvement issues. And that has helped them gain a lot of business from uh, consumer products companies like Nestle, Unilever. And, and of course, as, as Rachel mentioned earlier, uh, this, the ESG rating of the company has improved and the performance has been good as well. 
And maybe I could just jump in here and, and sort of tie these two examples together. And really, I think there's a few things that we see across both of these. So the first is just the importance of a strong relationship with the management team and being able to engage meaningfully throughout the course of the investment. Now, that's really how we came to learn about these insights, what the company was doing, how they were addressing these risks, and how we you know, became comfortable with the investments in, in both of these names. And then secondly, it's not necessarily about where a company may start on its ESG journey. I think these examples have shown us that really the important thing is the improvement over time and what that potential looks like and how do you evaluate that at the point of investment. And then, you know, finally, I would just say that the, these are both great examples of where, you know, the, the management teams took that ownership, that leadership. And, you know, we, we think that that's very important when we're investing in these companies that we sort of have faith and commitment in, in the really what management says they're going to do is actually going to happen. And I think in both of these cases, you know, that ended up playing out very much in our favor. And that's very encouraging because engagement has been one of the corner, one of the cornerstones of our investment process right since the start of the firm, rather than just a new fad. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. Uh, Thanks, Rachel. That's very useful. Uh, Rakesh, any final thoughts you can share? Sure. Uh, I mean, yes, I, I would want to say this study was based on a short time frame and it's, it's directional in nature. But this analysis really highlights that ESG rating improvement has potentially a much stronger relationship to investment performance than a pure static ESG rating. And, you know, that makes sense because most ESG ratings are backward looking and they miss the direction of change. So in fact, ESG ratings in themselves are not a negative and they actually may be a source of why the stock is cheap as we saw that, uh, that lower ESG rated stocks are cheaper. So as an, as an investor, it can be a great investment opportunity if you can identify the companies which are cheaper because of poorer ESG score, but have solid ESG improvement poten uh, potential irrespective of the current rating, of course, you have to need to do deep research and understanding. And, and as you mentioned, Adrian, uh, engage with the companies to understand their plan. But if you could do all that, uh, it could be a win-win because everybody's better served when a company shows improvement in their ESG credentials and investors can benefit by way of strong shareholder returns in the process. Perfect. Maybe I think we should wrap things up there. Uh, thanks, Rachel and Rakesh, for what has been an insightful and thought-provoking discussion. If any of our listeners do want to go into more detail on what we've done, I strongly encourage them to go to the website for the paper or get in touch with their regular Pazina contact. For now, thanks for listening. Thank you, Adrian.